Chapter 34 of Mabel Ross, The Sewing Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 34 The Lady President. Thursday came round, and Mabel left home to pay her second visit, as agreed upon, to Mrs. Hague's. For the first time, she was this morning obliged to leave little Lily alone, Hilda being engaged at Mr. Pinch and Company's, and there being no stranger she could call on to remain with the child. A sore trial this was to the devoted nurse, and nothing but the absolute necessity of the case would have persuaded her to the measure, though Lily herself, in her desire to relieve the anxiety of her sister, made light of being thus left. With everything arranged in the best possible way for the comfort and well-doing of the little girl, Mabel gave her a parting kiss and hurried off, locking the door of the room upon the outside, and carrying with her the key. Arrived at Mrs. Haig's, she rang the doorbell, and was admitted by the neat-looking servant-woman into the hall, where the latter left her to announce her presence to her mistress. In a little while, Mrs. Haig's appeared accompanied by Miss Lizzie, who wore on this occasion a look of pride and consequence, which sat with peculiar unbecomingness upon her doll-like face. Mrs. Haig's herself appeared fluttered beyond anything Mabel had yet seen in her, and painfully embarrassed beside. Following in the wake of the two ladies came the servant woman, carrying a bundle of new linen, and having come up to Mabel, Mrs. Hagues took the bundle from her attendant and presented it to her visitor, saying, "'Here's the work I promised you, young woman. It's all cut out, and it's only pillar cases beside, so you can't go wrong.' Mabel thanked her, adding that she could not name an exact day for having the work finished, as on the condition of her little sister depended her leisure to devote herself to it, but that she would certainly bring it home as soon as it was done. The doll looked impatient at this explanation, and interrupted her mother on the point of reply to say, The young woman might take as long as she liked at it. The only thing was she wasn't to look for any more, as her ma wasn't wanting work done at all, and only gave her that out of charity. Mabel took no notice of the doll, but repeated her thanks to the mother and hurried off with her work. The words of Miss Lizzie had sunk deep within her, however. She was to look for no more work. The bundle she carried was all she had secured, though more than a morning was spent in solicitation. With a great effort, Mabel threw off the momentary despondency this disappointment caused her, and with a heart still kept light by the hope she would not let falter, hastened home to her little charge. Lily had done well as could be looked for during her absence, and made no murmur of complaint concerning the trial she had been put to. As she put her arms about Mabel's neck, however, with the welcoming kiss, a pent-up sob burst from her that was eloquent in expression of all she had suffered. Still, she spoke no word, nor did Mabel, as she pressed the poor child to her breast and kissed again and again the marble-like brow that rested against her. Upon looking over the linen she had brought from Mrs. Haig's, Mabel found she had received something like three or four dollars' worth of work. This was more than she had looked for as the first offer, but it presented no very encouraging prospect, knowing it was to be followed by no more. Making the best of her leisure time, for Lily had that day more than one turn of great suffering, and working through most of the night hours, the young sewer got her pillowcases finished to take home early Saturday morning. "'Never mind if it is the last from Mrs. Haig's, Mabel,' Hilda remarked, when about to leave home that morning for her place of labor. 
You'll get work somewhere else, and one person's job is good as another. This is the end of my week at Pinches, and I'll bring home good pay tonight, and for many a Saturday to come too, I wouldn't wonder, for the advertisement's in the paper still, and with my pay and yours for the pillowcases, we'll have money enough for next month's rent secured. Leaving her little patient as she had done before, Mabel repaired, for the third time, to the residence of Mrs. Hague's. The servant woman admitted her into the hall, took from her the bundle of linen, and sententiously asked how much the work was worth. Mabel answered three dollars, four shillings, and the woman, having given her a stare, departed upstairs with the bundle. In a few minutes, she reappeared, followed by Miss Lizzie. The young lady's morning toilet was showy and becoming. With her bright eyes, fine complexion, flowing drapery, and rich jewelry, Miss Lizzie evidently saw nothing unsuitable in diamonds worn with a robe de chambre. She carried about her a radiance of glitter and beauty, which must quite have bewildered Mabel, all unaccustomed to close contact with such splendor, but that, young as she was, our sewing girl had learned to look so closely for the earnest in life. The beauty of truth and worth was all that touched her, and Miss Lizzie, robed in her splendor, was to her but a beautiful, glittering toy. "'Ma is not home,' said the pretty doll, sweeping up to where Mabel stood, "'and she told me to pay you what I thought your work was worth. Three dollars four shillings is mighty high for four pair of pillowcases. Dear me, why, three dollars is more than they're worth, for it's six shillings a pair. I'll pay you two dollars six shillings, and that's almost too much.' There was too great need for that money at home for Mabel not to make an effort for it. I should not ask more than six shillings a pair if they were plain cases, even very large ones, as they are, she said. But their all having rufflings makes a good deal more work. Well, but two dollars six shillings is plenty for them, for all that, rejoined the little beauty. Besides, she yawningly added, it's all I have down with me, and it's not worth my while to go up again just for six shillings. Oh, had she no heart to think what that just six shillings might be to the poor sewing girl? Mabel looked wistfully into the beautiful eyes of Miss Lizzie, but she saw no heart there, nothing to encourage her to further effort, and suppressing a sigh, she accepted from the jeweled fingers the two dollars six shillings and turned to go. Remember, Ma has no more work for you, a little pertly said the doll, as Mabel's hand was on the doorknob. She never will have any more for you, so you needn't come again. Thus dismissed, Mabel left the house. Just as she was about turning out of the avenue, a showy carriage drew up to the curb near her, and a plump, kitted hand beckoned her from the window. Mabel was passing on, for she could not at first believe it was to her the occupant of the fine carriage was motioning. A second look, however, assured her that the person within was no other than the mistress of the house she had just quitted, and she approached the window as invited. "'I'm so glad I got to see you!' exclaimed the good-hearted Mrs. Hagues. "'Most like you've been taking home the pillar cases!' Mabel replied that she had just left them at the house with the lady's daughter." And did she pay you the price you asked? Rather anxiously inquired Mrs. Hagues. 
She paid me two dollars six shillings, ma'am. My price was three dollars four shillings. And it's three dollars four you shall have, rejoined the good woman, taking out her portemonnaie. My daughter, you see, was put out by my talking to you that day, and she told Mr. Higgs about it, and so there was trouble. I can't give you any more work because of it, she added, having placed the six shillings in Mabel's hand. But I can send you to someone who maybe will. Here's my visiting card. And she took one from a gold-chased case and handed it to Mabel. And you can take it to Mrs. Graith's, Michigan Avenue. She's a very charitable person. That is, she's head of all the society ladies of Chicago and president of a big sewing and industrious society that's top of all the rest. If she takes a fancy to do it, she can give you a big lift. You'd best write the name and number on the card, so there'll be no mistake. She handed Mabel a small pencil, and the young girl put down the name and number as directed. While you're about it, you'd best write something more observed Mrs. Higgs. Please give the young woman some sewing, as she's in need of help. I'd rather you'd write that yourself, Mrs. Higgs, said Mabel. It would be better coming from you. Mrs. Higgs looked embarrassed. Her eyes glanced from Mabel's face to an uncertain point in the distance, then fell upon her own hands in their tightly fitting yellow gloves. I can't write for having my gloves on, she said, but you're putting it down's all the same. Without suspicion of the true cause of Mrs. Haig's refusal, Mabel wrote the words suggested. Then, with thanks to her kind benefactress, she turned her steps in the direction of Michigan Avenue. Mrs. Graith was about going to a meeting of one of her many societies. She informed Mabel of the fact, but added that as she had a few minutes to spare, she was willing to talk with her concerning the peculiarities of her, Mabel's, case. The lady had a singular number of questions to ask, and while Mabel was answering them, fixed on her so scrutinizing a look that the young girl was satisfied she had, in some way, incurred her peculiar suspicion. But she was mistaken. Mrs. Graith did not regard her with more suspicion than she did every individual of what she called the poor class who came under her notice. It was her wont to start in each case with a whole host of suspicions, which, had they been put into so many words, would, most probably, quite have shocked herself. These suspicions, or misgivings, as she called them, it became the duty of each person brought before her charitable notice to do away with, in the most satisfactory manner, before he or she could be deemed worthy of the lady's faintest sympathy or assistance. Without being aware of it, she reversed the method of some person, real or imaginary, to whom she made frequent reference under the title of my injudicious friend. This injudicious friend, it would appear, started off, in each case presented her, under the fixed impression that the individual in question was possessed of every possible virtue until it was satisfactorily, or rather unsatisfactorily, proved to her that the individual was, in fact, possessed of every possible vice. Thus, with Mrs. Graith, every one was open to suspicion of every vice, until proved to be blessed with every virtue. The first of Mrs. Graith's inquisitorial remarks bore reference to the card presented her by Mabel. I presume I am to understand that Mrs. Higgs herself wrote these lines of recommendation she said, 
with her keen gaze upon the young girl. No, ma'am, Mabel replied, unsuspicious of the trap set to catch her. Mrs. Hagues had her gloves on and told me to write them. Mrs. Graith smiled a little quiet smile to herself, then took a second look at the card, after which the inquisitorial order of things was fairly instituted. Through this, she learned everything relating to her visitor and her visitor's family that Mabel chose she should know, privately set down in her own mind as fact a good many more, and guessed or suspected many more still. She didn't like Mabel being so handsome, yet acknowledged, even to her own suspicious self, that there was nothing about her which looked like a consciousness of her beauty. But then, as her reasoning went on, these people do get to be so cunning. I shall take your case into consideration, at length said the lady, consulting her watch. I'm going, just now, to a meeting of the Ladies of Chicago Society for Promotion of Honest Industry, and will lay all the matter you have given me before the Committee of Investigation. If everything is satisfactory, there will be a vote taken upon your case, and if the vote is in your favor, after that we will see what can be done for your assistance. Mabel opened her eyes at this. You understand, ma'am, she said, that it is simply work, needlework, I apply for. Certainly that is understood, but we cannot give our work indiscriminately to every applicant. The most deserving are to be assisted first, the really deserving only at any time. The Ladies of Chicago Society for Promotion of Honest Industry is a society upon which too many eyes are fixed to permit its members to be any other than the most watchful and careful advocates of right and virtue. Indeed, it is quite terrible to see how many institutions of this sort, through want of this very watchfulness and caution, promote evil rather than good. Mabel had moved slowly to the door. "'When shall I call again, ma'am?' she asked. "'I really cannot say. That is, I cannot say when I am likely to give you work. But you might call in about two weeks' time to learn what progress is making in your case.' At the words, two weeks' time, poor Mabel's heart sank. How near would such delay bring them to another rent day?' Visions of the brutal house agent rose before her fancy. Old Brumley and poor little Lily. Such thought made her bold. Try and let me have something soon as possible, Mrs. Graith, she earnestly said. Indeed, indeed, it would be no mistaken kindness in my case. I have told you our peculiar position, our poor little sister. Mrs. Graith looked coldly and with some aggravation of suspicion upon her. The girl looked so handsome when she spoke with that light in her eye. There was such an air about her. She looked so excited. Mrs. Graith didn't like it. She was really afraid. Well, she'd have to be very, very cautious. All will be done in good time and in proper form, she replied, in a tone quite as cold as her look. Our society cannot be hurried and put out of its way for any individual case to the detriment of others. 
There is, I believe, some fault found with us on this score, pursued the lady, by certain persons, ignorant of how such things should be managed, but we know our own business and don't trouble ourselves about them. Once in a while, it happens that some little matter turns up, seeming to favor this idea of our being somewhat too deliberate in our movements. For instance, there was a case last winter of two girls being frozen to death one particularly cold night, and as it was well known we had had their case under consideration for about a couple of weeks, it was thought by some that we might have determined on something in time to save them. But this was altogether a mistaken impression. Our society is bound by excellent laws and by-laws, and all the members are judicious ladies who feel no disposition to oppose them. There are no hot heads among us. All are cool-headed and prudent. Yes, fortunately for the honor of our society and the persons we labor to assist, no one can say that, in a single instance, either rashness or imprudent haste has been exhibited by any of our members. Mabel could not but think by what different names she would have styled the speed which would be mercy to her and to many other suffering ones. But she said nothing further. The president of the Ladies of Chicago's Society for Promotion of Honest Industry, of course, knew her business best, and no appeal could be made from her decision. End of chapter 34